It's Tuesday at 8pm and you're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Now, if you are a regular reader of Irish Country Living, you will be familiar with my next guest. However, Margaret Leahy's column in Irish Country Living is just one string to her bow. Last week, I spoke to her to find out more about her farming and food journey and what she is up to now. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Margaret, lovely to have you on the programme. We met in person for the first time last year at the Irish Food Writing Awards. And I said to you at the time, I didn't realise it whenever I first met you, but then as we got chatting, I realised I had heard you on the Ray Darcy show a number of years ago. And you were talking about uh, food tours, which is something I'm interested in. And they were very special food tours because they were aimed at the solo traveller because you yourself had saw that there was a had seen that there was a demand for that in, in the market. So before we get into all of that, we must tell people a little bit about you. You're based over in the Gwailtok area on the fabulous Wild Atlantic Way. I am indeed, Sharon, and it's pretty wild today, I have to say. <laughs> I moved here a, a few years ago. Um, and I absolutely love it here. It's it's up Connemara. South Connemara is just really beautiful. Um, I moved here from Mayo, where I farmed with my late husband for over 20 years. And um, I've been farming all my life, actually. So that's a little bit about me. Born and reared on a dairy farm up in Kildare. Um, married a farmer. I even did agricultural science for Leave Insert, which many, many years ago, I was the only girl in my class doing agricultural science. Um, and I've always loved farming. So um, my husband and I traveled a bit, but then eventually we set up a fully certified organic farm back in 1995, a bit ahead of our time. And uh, that was in Mayo. And we farmed there for over 20 years. Uh, we had four wonderful children and then he passed away in 2010 and I continued farming for a few years but uh, eventually I decided to sell the farm which was a huge decision to make and I moved to Connemara that's my life in 10 seconds (laughs) well we have to highlight that you are a bit of a trailblazer doing the the agricultural science at school for leave insert, setting up that organic farm, and then the tours that you do now. Being married to somebody who would love to be farming full time, there is such an attachment there to the land. So whenever you decided to give up the farm, and I can only imagine it was very challenging doing it without your husband there, not just because of the physical demands of the work, but just even emotionally and supporting each other and enjoying it together also. Whenever it came to making a decision about selling up, tell me how easy or difficult that was for you. Yeah, it it was very difficult. Um, So John had been dead five years at that stage when I started to think about it, because initially it wasn't uh, an idea at all. There was absolutely no way I was doing it. And I'm very lucky in where we lived in Gary Moore in in Mayo. We had some wonderful neighbours who gave me a hand. We were sheep farmers and vegetable growers. Um, We had just gotten out of Suckler, which was (laughs) good because sheep were more manageable for me. 
But I mean, I always say, you know, the day John died, apart from the obvious grief and everything else, I became the sole owner of 80 pregnant yoles, which, you know, is quite daunting um, because, you know, when you're married to a, a farmer as I was, and I helped him all the time, but helping someone when a yo is lambing and doing it yourself are two entirely different things, I can assure you, Sharon. So it was it was difficult. And two of our children uh, were teenagers at the time. Um, James and Ian, the two older boys, had left home at that stage, but Neve and Ashton were at home and teenagers. So for the next couple of years, it was about getting them through school and mining the farm. And I was also working in community development. So when the youngest, Ashling, went to college, I literally woke up one morning and said, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm tired. I'm tired of doing it without John. It's not the same without him. It's not the same walking the fields or doing it together. And it, the, the farm was a little bit isolated. And because I was dead on my own, I just thought, no, this is the time to start looking. So I asked each of our four children if any of them were interested in farming. And they have all made various lives for themselves. Three of them currently live abroad. And because it's a small farm, it's not a viable economic unit that someone could come home and live full time in. So at the time, the four of them said that they weren't interested in farming full time. So I sold it and um, I found this lovely home, my new home in Connemara by the sea. And uh, while it was a very, very difficult decision, I have to say I bawled my eyes out <laughs> You know, as we packed up the last of the O's and everything else, it was it was very, very emotional, Sharon. But it was the right decision. A hundred percent it was the right decision. And I do think that sometimes in Ireland we hold on to land for the, the wrong reasons because it is so emotional and traditional in Ireland not to sell the family farm. But it's also the right decision. And, you know, there's a family there now who are rearing their children the way we reared ours. So I'm delighted. And and they've kept it organic, which is fantastic. That's brilliant. And and to come back on your point there about not selling the land. I think there's even the neighbouring farm comes up. They think they should be buying it, even though they maybe can't cope with what they have at the moment. It definitely must have been a help when your four children said, no, we're not interested. You know, go ahead. We support you. Yeah, completely. And I mean, you know, I'm very lucky. I mean, the children are fantastic. They're very close to each other and, and we're all very close. And, you know, we have very open conversations because had one of them wanted to do it, we'd have found a way, a way of making it even because that's part of the problem. Sometimes I think, Sharon, that, you know, if a farm goes to one child and not the other. And by the way, in our family, it was never going to be just offered to the sons. It was offered to the boys and the girls equally. Um, but that can be an issue on some farms if one gets and the other doesn't. But, you know, we, we would have worked that out. But, you know, my, as I say, three of them are abroad. They all have their own careers and um, they're very happy. They would all, I think what's lovely about it, Sharon, is actually they've all held on to an appreciation for the environment, for farming, for food. You know, they were raised on a, an organic farm in the countryside and they've all held on to that in various ways. One has an allotment, for example. Another has a, a company doing sustainable energy. You know, they all have held on. Another one goes hiking. They've, they've held on to that um, love of the countryside and, and appreciation for good food. So, you know, their farming childhood has helped in many ways form them, the adults that they are now, in my opinion. 
lovely and you were saying there about them being close that does not mean physically close because they are all over the the world and you I can see behind you you have five clocks and they're yes. all well there two of them are at the same time and the rest of them are not the other three aren't um a great idea tell us about the clocks yes so when I moved into the, the house in Connemara and at the time all four of them were away at the time actually traveling and I used to be going, oh, is it morning time where James is or is it evening time? And I remembered back when I was younger, whenever you went to a hotel or the airport, there was always clocks behind the reception desk, which would have Barcelona time or Moscow time or New York time. So I thought, well, if I get the clocks physically on the wall, it will help. So I bought five clocks, four children. I'm the middle clock, that is, is myself. And initially I was going to put up where they were. But within maybe a month of my getting the clocks up, the one who had been in Bali traveling was then in Mexico and the one who had been in New Zealand had gone to Vancouver. And I thought, well, I can't put cities up there because that's not going to work. So my clocks basically are set to the times of my four children. So at the moment behind me, James, my eldest, is in Mexico. Ian is in Vancouver. I'm the middle one on Irish time. Neve is in Austin, Texas, and Ashling is in Dublin. Fantastic. And you do get to, to go and visit them. You're good to travel yourself. Absolutely. I've had a few trips. So the eldest, James, who is in Mexico at the moment, he, he also lives in New York a lot of the time. So um, I've been to Mexico a few times, been to New York. We lived in New York actually for seven years with the two boys when they were much younger between the, the before we went farming. Um, and um, yeah, I've been to Vancouver several times. And hopefully this year I'll get to Austin, Texas to visit Neve. Yeah. That would be fabulous, wouldn't it? So tell me at what point you got the idea for the the Irish artisan food tours. Yeah, so I've always had a big interest in food. And uh, going back to when we were farming, I was actually chairman of the Irish Organic Farmers and Growers, first woman to head up a farming organization in Ireland, I have to say. So I was uh, chairperson of the organization. And because of that, I got invited onto the Food Safety Authority of Ireland Consultative Council uh, by the then Patrick Wall. So I was on that for 15 years. And I just found it absolutely fascinating, the whole area of food safety. And it would come up a lot about small scale producers and artisan producers and, you know, how they struggle to, you know, manage all the different rules and regulations. And I was always fascinated by it. And um, also kind of I would if I was going anywhere for a day or a weekend, I'd always check out somewhere good to eat that used local food or whatever. So in 2018, I met a, a sommelier in uh, Sheridan's Cheese here in Galway, and he was Italian. And we were having a organic and biodynamic wine tasting. And he said, you know, I was thinking of organizing a food tour of Italy around vineyards. Would you be interested? And I'm like, yep, absolutely. Yep, I'm there. Gone, you know. So forgot all about it. And a few months later, he emailed me and said, well, leaving from Rome on this date, da 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 it's mixed people, whatever. And I said, yeah, I said, I'll take a chance. So I headed off and spent a week rattling around in a bus, being driven by this young man. And we stayed on an organic olive farm and we visited vineyards that, you know, have gone back to using um, horses instead of tractors because of the environmental impact, you know, who have these oak caskets that are hundreds of years old. Um, that, you know, use different types of wildflowers and trees to encourage the pollination of divine vineyards and divines and everything else. 
And it was just fantastic. But I kept thinking, we could do this in Ireland. We could do this in Ireland. And I kept thinking about that. And I went on my own because I am a solo traveller. Um, obviously, since my husband John died, um, it was a case for me of either go or, you know, stay at home and feel sorry for myself. So I'm a, I'm a goer and I quite like solo travelling. But what I do like with the small groups, like when I was in Italy, is, you know, breaking bread and having meals together because that's kind of it's... I love sitting down opposite someone in Sharon and going, oh, you're having the beef. What's that like? I'm having the duck. And it's that kind of conversation that you have while you're eating. So anyway, I came back to Ireland, started working on the whole idea, did a lot of work on how it would happen and everything else. And I was supposed to start in March 2020. So I put it all on hold. And I won't say I forgot about it, but it was very much on hold. And then I was talking to Ray Darcy one day about, it started about the clocks, actually. And we were talking about solo travel and I'd been talking about John and all this type of thing. And during that conversation, I mentioned the whole idea of doing food tours for solo travelers. And they got a phenomenal response um, emails, messages, texts from people who were interested. So I thought, well, OK, I mean, you know, might as well be hung for a sheep as a lamb, as they say. I'm going to give this a go. And I had my first tour in May 2022. Uh, I had 10 solo travelers on that. So I have developed that over the last couple of years. Um, I based them uh, either in Connemara or the Burn. And this year, actually, I'm doing um, some in Mayo, based in Mulrani up in North Mayo. And it's been fantastic. And I've really enjoyed it. And I'm also changing it a little bit this year and doing other tours because a lot of people don't want to devote five days just to food. So I've had a lot of interest in doing one or half day tours um, in the same areas, the Burn, Connemara, whatever, with family groups or corporate groups or, you know, for other tour operators and that. So that's something I, I had done some of it last year. I mean, I had one day, it was fantastic. I had three generations of the one family from Germany. I mean, it was just, it was the older person and it was 60, it was her 60th birthday gift from her children. So it was her children, her grandchildren. And we went foraging, we went on a sheep farm, we went to a vegetable farm. We had the best day. And I absolutely loved spending that quality time just with six or seven people. So I've done quite a few of them now last year. And that's definitely an area I'm going to grow because the five day food tours are great for solo travelers and I really enjoy doing them. But for a lot of people, five days is too much food. <laughs> as as some of my guests say, bring stretchy pants. Absolutely, um, yeah. And Sorry. for visitors coming here, it's easier to do a one or a half day than actually give all of the holiday in Ireland over to the food tour. And the solo traveller is often penalised whenever it comes to single occupancy in rooms, for example. So have you partnered with some really good venues who who don't penalise because, you, you know, you're not sharing with somebody? Absolutely. And that's, that was a key thing for me, Sharon, because it really bothers me. You go on a website and you look at this holiday and it's saying it's 3,000 euro and you're going, oh, great. And then you put in one person and suddenly it's five and a half thousand. And that really irritates me. I mean, it has put me off going on cruises and various different holidays because you really get penalized as a solo traveler. So Renville House is my base for most of my tours now in Connemara in Renville. And they don't have a single supplement. 
And apart from the fact they also have a fantastic chef and they do really, really good food uh, meals in the evening. Their, their, their food is excellent. Um, but it was a combination of really good food and no single supplement. And uh, the same at Mulrani Park Hotel this year. I don't have a hotel tied down for the burn just yet because this is a bit of an issue for me, but um, it'll be on the website when I do. Fantastic. And we'll talk about the website in a minute so people know where to go to get more um, information. Your credentials then, you are a qualified Bulge Ireland guide. Yes. Yes. So I I went back and did that course with um, GRETB here in Galway and really enjoyed it, actually, Sharon. And um, obviously the focus on that wasn't on food. It's more of a, a being a tour guide in general. So we study everything from the geology of the area to the flora and fauna. So when I'm doing a food tour, I'm not just talking food. So we're going along and I'm pointing out various things from if we're going on, we'll say along the road by out from Galway, it might be talking about the Aran Islands, it'll be talking about um, the Connemara National Park. Being a farmer, but also being someone who absolutely adores our natural heritage in that, I talk about the wildflowers, I talk about the ways of farming. So, you know, for example, there's if we're in the burn, I'll be talking about the winterage, which is a very unique way of farming in the burn. So I talk about that. I talk about how the burn was formed. I talk about the weather. I talk about the economy. You name it, Sharon. I will talk about it. And I've even been known to sing. So there you go. And I love it. Being a tour guide is honestly one of the funnest things I've ever trained to be. And I've, I've had quite a few jobs in my day. But being a tour guide is, I love it. And you meet really, really interesting people who really just soak up anything they, 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 that you have. And, and I also, you know, um, I'm not a fluent Irish speaker, but I always throw in the couple of and, you know, I mean, I even get them, you know, when they're on the bus, I say, I'm doing a roll call, but you must answer by saying on show, you know, and it's just little things like that. And, um, and I keep it small. 12 is my max. So I keep it small. And that's for a combination of one. So I know everyone's name on the bus, which I love, but also it's a smaller bus and it suits a lot of the farms that I go on. And I think that for me anyway, and I'm not criticizing any other tours, but for me, bringing 30, 40 people on a, a farm, you're not going to get the same experience, you know? So I love dealing with the smaller groups. Well, the passion is so obvious whenever you, you talk <laughs> about it. We can hear it in your voice. I can see it in your eyes. Unfortunately, the listeners can't see how you light up whenever you start to talk about it. And you also get an opportunity then to indulge the passion by writing about it because you have a column in the Irish Country Living, which is the, the lovely magazine supplement that comes with the Irish Farmers Journal every Thursday. Yeah, I really enjoy writing, actually. Um, I often say I've been writing in my head all my life, but and I did various different writing groups and that type of thing, but I'd never actually had the courage to send something in before. But um, it all came about at the Women in Agriculture Conference a couple of years ago and a conversation with Janine Kennedy, and uh, who's sub-editor, and then with the editor, Amy, and now the current editor, Kira. And I absolutely love it. And as I call it, it's my scribblings. I mean, I could be talking about anything from food to online dating or whatever. And and it's funny, what I what I love about writing actually is that when you're writing these things and you send them in and you assume somebody reads them, but you're not really sure. 
But I've had people come up to me. I mean, I was at a, a wedding there last year. At the breakfast the next morning in the hotel, a man came over to me and he's like, I checked. And I said, uh, sorry. He's like, I checked where the rashers and sausages Irish because you wrote about all of us going to hotels and asking was the food Irish. <laughs> and I loved that. I thought that was brilliant. He says, oh, I remember that piece you wrote about. Um, at last year's Women in Agriculture Conference, I had it was my first time being there, having uh, been a columnist. And so many women came up to me and said, oh, when you wrote about this, it meant something to me, or when you wrote about that, that really hit home with me. So I love that. I mean, it's it's just so kind of people to say things like that, and it means an awful lot. So, um, yeah, I really enjoy it, and I hope to write more. Well, I think, Margaret, now you'll have a lot of people coming up to you that were maybe at the Women in Agriculture Conference last year. I wasn't there, but I certainly heard about the the major role you played on stage with a very a very educational but also entertaining aspect of the the conference. And I did not realize it was your first year as a columnist doing that. I thought. So you were part and parcel of the furniture for a number of years. So will I tell the listeners or do you want to tell the <laughs> listeners what you did um, in, in the spirit of education? Uh, absolutely. So there was a um, uh, Bridget who owns a lingerie shop in Kilkenny. And she was talking about um, how to properly be measured for a bra and how to wear a bra and the importance of being measured properly for bra for, for breast health and everything else. And when I was on a Zoom call with um, people from Irish Country Living and they were talking about this section, they were like, we need volunteers. And literally straight away, about three of them said, Margaret. And I'm going, okay. <laughs> So basically, I went on stage with Bridget in a Guna, lovely dress, and I was wearing one of my own quite poor bras. And then we went off stage and she put me into um, a proper one, which we had measured the night before and everything else. And in fairness, like two things I will say about it, Sharon. One, it really did make a difference. I mean, it really, really makes a difference to your, your posture and, and your figure to have a, a proper bra on and, and the comfort. But also they were so pretty because I'm I'm a rather large lady. And I mean, she had these most beautiful and, and you just feel so feminine and so lovely. And it was quite an experience. It was um, I tried to make it a bit um, jovial and uh, have a bit of crack out of it. So there was some comments coming from me because I was I was I had a mic on me even when I was off stage. So I was making comments, which, you know, um, went down pretty well. And it was a bit of crack. And I think if I had thought about it too much, I probably wouldn't have done it. But I thought in the spirit of it, let's go. I, I'm, I kind of a habit of just being impulsive and just saying, ah, yeah, right. If someone asks me to do something, I go, ah, yeah, you know, so. Such a trailblazer, Margaret. And and Bridget, it was, um, I think Maria Moynihan, one of the journalists with Irish Country Living, wrote an article a few years ago about Bridget. She has a lingerie shop in Kilkenny. And Bridget can fit people by just looking at them. And she yep. was doing Zooms. And I presume she still does Zooms with people. I did a Zoom with Bridget to be fitted for, for a new for a new bra during COVID. And like she is such a talent, it has yeah. to be said. 
and and she's lovely. I I just really liked working with her because she was really she was just great to work with, and she's actually opened the place a second shop in Cork actually, um, La Belle Femme, and she's up on the second one in Cork, and I just really enjoyed working with her and. Um, she didn't make me feel self-conscious. She didn't make me feel that I was, you know, large or heavy or, you know, and I just really found her fantastic to work with. Yeah, it was a, it was a, a very interesting experience. I'm not sure it will ever go on my CV as um, possible bra fitter model. But anyway, there you go. <laughs> Well, I think you could have people coming up saying to you, they might not remember your name, but they'll, they'll remember that that's what you, what you did in 2023 at the Women in Ag conference. That's quite possible, Sharon. <laughs> Which we have to say, I've never been to it, but I've heard such wonderful reports about it, that it is such um, an annual get-together for, for women who, you know, maybe don't get out that much. Yeah, I, I think what is very, interesting actually i've been going now for oh i'd say maybe five six years now uh, possibly even more and a friend of mine comes up to me now she's her and her husband are retired dairy farmers in mayo and um it's an there's women there who are full-time farming there's women who are part-time farming there's women who are no longer farming um and for, for i mean a lot of them stay overnight and make a real kind of a two-day event of it um a lot of people go i mean i see the same faces year on year People go every year and it is the best crack and it's an excuse to get dressed up. It's all women. And uh, Brendan Courtney was actually um, one of the guests I had last year. And he was like, you know, if you want something done, this would be the room to get it done because I've never felt such power coming off, off from the audience. So it's I think it's like 500 women you know, in a room. And it's it's and it's great crack. But it also it always has a really varied um, schedule of different speakers. Which is really good. I mean, this year they were talking. Last year, I should say, New Year. Sorry, I keep thinking this year. Last year, um, there was conflict resolution. As I say, and uh, Sheila Shoga was there, and she, you know, very bravely talked about miscarriages and stuff. Then there was Brendan Courtney talking about everything from fashion to his mother's dementia. Um, we had an article, uh, a piece. There was Bridget and the bra, obviously fitting. We had music. Uh, everybody was up dancing. I mean, it's just great crack. I have to say, good crack. It's in November every year, and it's good crack. Well, tell me what is next for for Margaret now. You've done so much in so few years. It has to be said because you are still a very young woman, and you know, you have your four children all around the world. You love traveling for them. You're right in your column. You're doing your tours. What else are you up to in 2024? Yeah, well, 2024 is going to be a great year, actually. So I am launching a new website. I'm changing the name of the company and rebranding it. And from the 1st of February, it will be called Fable, Farm to Table Tours and Tales. And I'm doing that because the word Fable is made up of farm and table. So that's how I came up with the word fable. Also, Ireland is full of stories and fables. And when I bring people on farm, Sharon, it is the stories they want to hear. You know, they want to hear from Angus here in Connemara, who literally is making a living out of land that is so stony and windswept. You would, you know, you'd wonder how he's doing it, you know. Or, you know, Teresa in Kylemore Cheese, who was a nurse in Australia who came back to make cheese in, in the middle of Galway. It's these stories that people want to hear. So that's why I'm calling it Fable, Farm to Table Tours and Tales. And I love it. 
I'm really excited to be um, involved in that, to work with much, much more smaller groups. Um, you know, as I say, I have a lot of corporate companies who may have people visiting here from abroad. Well, why not let me have them for a day? And I am going to show them not only the beautiful countryside, but have them enjoy the finest of, of food. I mean, you know, I have tours called, you know, coffee and condiments. I have the ale and, and oyster odyssey tour. You know, we go out on a mussel boat on some of my tours. We walk a sheep's um, cheese farm. And, you know, you, you are literally walking in sheep, you know what, on that one. I can tell you, you know. <laughs> Um, you know, I mean, we go up then even up to Mayo. I mean, there's one up there, Crow Patrick Seafoods. And when you finish talking to Patrick, who owns it, his nephew comes in and starts playing the accordion while his wife serves you homemade scones and brown bread to go with the oysters. I mean, these are like a lot of people in Fall Charm that they talk about immersive and, you know, unique experiences. I mean, we have that in abundance. And I just want to bring people there. I want people to understand where their food comes from, the people who are producing it. Because we live in a world now, Sharon, where you can go online and order anything and never know where it came from. I really want people to remember where our food came from. Like we've had terrible storms here the last couple of days and people had things cancelled or stayed at home. Farmers can't cancel and stay at home. They still have to go out and feed the animals. They still have to do what has to be done. And, you know, this weather will impact when they cut their silage and feed, or their hay to feed their cattle. It'll impact when the grain is ready. It'll impact so many different things that all of us are unaware because we go to the supermarket and we go online and we pick up whatever we want and we bring it home. I really think that people need to reconnect with our food sources and those who are making it. Because as the world changes so much and climate change, you know, we import a lot of food here at the moment. And I'm not against imports, right? We import a lot of food. But, you know, with challenges in transportation and fuel costs, the, the price that has only going to go up. So we need to ensure that we protect our own food producers. We are losing vegetable growers every single day at the moment. And I think it's really, really important that we try and buy local as much as we can, try and buy Irish, if, if not that, but, and look at where food comes from. I'm, I'm not anti anything, but I do wonder why I would buy blueberries in November from Peru when I can buy them in Clare from Banner Berries, throw them in the freezer and have them all winter. You know, so I, my passion, it, it is my business, um, I had a total knee replacement literally this time last year and gave up other work that I was doing in community development to totally focus on the food tours. It's a business, but it's my passion. And if I can spend a day with people, introduce them to farmers, letting them see where their food comes from, heightening their appreciation of where their food comes from and having the crack, sure, I'm happy out. And we're so lucky in Ireland that we are an island. We can have the fish, we can have the shellfish, we can have the meat, the dairy products. The whole, we have everything at our fingertips. So we need to be appreciative of that and support the artisans and the farmers and the, and the people that make it possible for us to enjoy that. And, you know, it shouldn't it shouldn't always come down to the price of, of things because as somebody would say, if you are eating local, if you are eating organic, um, it, you might be spending more on it, but you probably will have less trips to the doctor, to the pharmacist. So, you know, you're actually saving that money and you're investing it in those locally sourced in-season products. 
100%. I mean, I was at Food on the Edge last year. And, you know, as Darina Allen said, the more you spend on your food, the less you'll spend at the pharmacy. And I think that's a very fair point. But also, because I travel, I mean, I, I was in Vancouver just two months ago. And if you saw the price of organic meat, you would fall off your chair. I mean, you know, we our food is relatively cheap compared to other countries for the quality that we have. I, I often think, you know, that we, we don't really appreciate the quality of the food we have here. There are very few countries still raising their meat on an almost grass-based system. And we're still doing that. I mean, you know, when you go to Vancouver or places, and you see grass-fed steak as against just ordinary steak. I mean, pretty much all our steak is grass-fed, but we don't we don't label it as such. But over there they do, and it's twice the price of regular steak. And then organic is another thirty or forty percent on top of that again. So you know we have some wonderful food producers here. I mean, I try and buy local, and I think what's really important too is that it's it yes, it might look more expensive. But food waste, and I know you've had people on talking about food waste. I find that when I pay for something that's quality, I make sure not to waste. I mean, if I buy a, an organic chicken, not only do I get several dinners out of it, but that carcass becomes stock as well for soup. Every bit of it is used. And I and I do think the better quality food is, is last better. Now, you know, having said that, not people have monetary issues and, you know, people don't always have money for different things. But I do think we underestimate the importance of quality food in our bodies, in our lives and how it impacts everything. And, you know, for me personally, I would rather spend the money on organic chicken and not buy the bottle of orange pop or minerals or not buy the cake or whatever and don't get me wrong i love my cake but you know if i have to make a decision i will make the decision on the quality irish preferably organic product and i know it will last longer and i know it will i will get more value out of that in the long run though it is hard to justify the, and i understand people have as i say issues around price but really we are so 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 lucky to have the quality of food available to us here. And, and I also think, Sharon, sometimes it's it's not even that people don't want to buy Irish. They just buy whatever has been almost sold to them on, on the TV. For, I'll give you a very good example. Apples. There's a, you know, some apples, oh, they're pink ladies. And oh, we all love pink ladies because they're great. They're nearly all coming from Australia. We have the most amazing Irish apples, but you really have to look for them on the shelves because they're not everywhere. And, you know, I don't know about the, the whole scientific part of it, but surely an apple from Tipperary has to be better for you than one that's been shipped halfway around the world and been in storage for half that time. That's just my unscientific view of that. So, you know, my aim is to introduce people as much as possible on my Instagram and everything else. I'm always banging on about Irish food and the good things about Irish food and, you know, that type of thing. So I hope that that um, educates the wrong word. I just hope that people appreciate the food we have and the farmers who spend 365 days of the year producing. It. Absolutely. Well, listen, Margaret, it's been lovely talking to you. You better tell us the, the new website address so that people can pop on there. Absolutely. So it's fabletours.com, F-A-B-L-E, tours, 
and uh, Instagram also, fabletours.com. And then I'm on Twitter as Margaret Leahy, for those of you who are on, or it's X now, sorry. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, listen, best of luck with the, the new website and all the plans for 2024. And we must catch up with you later on the year to see how it's all going. That'd be great. I've really enjoyed talking to you, Sharon. And, and what you do for the food industry is fantastic. We're all working for the same aim here. Absolutely. Thanks, Margaret. Thanks a million, Sharon. You're listening to the best possible taste on West Limerick 102 FM.